1: How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to the Philacrossophy podcast. Really excited to be joined here today by Bowdoin head coach Bill Mason.
0: Bill, really fired up to have you on. How are you doing? Doing great, Jamie. Thank you for having me. Big fan of the podcast and uh, exciting new season. And to, excited to talk about lacrosse. It's been a little bit to sit down and really, you know, get into the weeds with our sports. So I'm excited to be talking to you.
1: Yeah, Totally. So um, you know, you were just telling me as we were sort of chatting before the podcast that when all the kids come, all the freshmen come up, they get to go on these excursions around Maine at this time of year, uh, camping, mountain biking, surfing. I mean, how cool is that for those guys? Ingrid. Yeah, I think it's
0: yeah, totally. I think it's a really unique opportunity to instead of you know your cliche name games kind of sitting around, um, you know, Bowden. Uh, has all these students kind of pack up some gear and, and explore Maine and really just introduce the state that they're going to be, uh, you know, spending the next four years of their life in. So it's, yeah, it's, it's really fun. And uh, I know our students, um, they love, you know, all the different adventures that they go on. We had a couple guys, you know, trying to learn surfing for the first time, a couple guys uh, going miking, mountain biking. Uh, so yeah, just a fun way to kind of kick off the year. And, and I think a way that, uh, is very fitting to Bowden, which is finding unique ways to bring the community together outside of, you know, your traditional kind of, uh, like I said, you know, name games and just kind of going around uh, classic college style. Such an amazing campus. Although I can't say I've been up
1: there recently, but I did sit in Mort Lepoint's office back in June, 1984, when I was looking around at schools, my mom drove me all the way up to Bowden, and um, just an amazing place. Oh my gosh.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a, you know, when I first got into my office, there were some really cool Mort LaPointe uh, items around the office that just, you know, kind of uh, set the tone for me of the type of program that I've taken over and some really historic coaches And our locker room has this really cool shot of uh, both Coach LaPointe and Coach McCabe, um, and it really just, uh, you know, nice bowden logo in the middle. So certainly feel the, uh, you know, the honor and privilege to be leading uh, what I would consider a pretty historic Division Three program. No doubt. Oh my gosh.
1: There's so many unbelievable alums too. Um, mm-hmm. and it seems like every time you turn around, there's like a prep school coach or something uh, from Bowdoin um, chip Davis at Deerfield comes to mind, but I know there's a lot more. So no question. All right. So let's, let's uh, turn back the clock and, and talk a little bit about as I usually do on this podcast, give, give us a, a, a quick bio where you came from and a little bit about your playing and coaching journey.
0: Yeah. Um, no question. So uh, came from central Massachusetts, played at a high school called Algonquin, uh, played with another fellow coach, Stephen Toomey, who's now uh, on the sidelines of Tufts. So nice little, and actually, you know, we ended up going to college at the same place. So I've, I've definitely, wow. uh, Coach Toomey is definitely someone that, um, you know, has, has definitely paved a, a nice path in terms of people from our. Kind of neck of the woods get into the, the, the sport of lacrosse. Um, I actually did a PG year at Bridgeton Academy, um, which uh, at the time, um, you know, I think we might have had 15, 16 D1 uh, commits. What on year our was team. that? Uh, it was 2008, I was there. Uh, it was actually the 200th year of the school, which was really wow. cool. So, yeah, a lot of history there and, and definitely, um, you know, got introduced a kid from Central Mass playing with, you know, kids from the MIAA and Kid from Massapequa, New York. And so, you know, got to really see what, you know, I would say maybe big boy lacrosse looks like as opposed yeah. to, you know, my little town from Central Mass. And who, then I the uh,
1: coach at that time, uh,
0: his name was Mike Jones. Got it. Yeah. So yeah, it was a, uh, it was a great experience and, and definitely, um, something I, I needed, you know, in, in a maturity standpoint and a, uh, academic standpoint, it was definitely really, I was, I was fortunate to be able to have that, um, and then I went to uh, Western New England and, and played for John Kopacki. Um, they were number three in the country at the time when when uh, I had committed there and, and had just, uh, you know, I think lost to Ithaca, maybe in the lead eight. Um, so just a really high level of lacrosse. Uh, Winnick was definitely pushing the tempo and trying to play as fast as possible. So, you know, that's what excited me about going there was like these guys are, you know, in 2009, like, Everything's about transition. Every drill we did was was up and down numbers. Uh, I don't think you know. It's funny we still get together with all my teammates and all of our defenders. Are like, could we have just had one practice where we had even numbers? That would have been really nice, you know. But but that's just kind of the style we played at, and and it worked really well. So um, I got injured there, and so that that wasn't great. Um, but during my time uh, being injured, the, the coach put me to work, and I think that's where I was like, I like this, you know, and and had me, you know whether it be cutting film or, um, hey, take the uh, take the man down unit and put these three man up plays that we know this team is going to be running. So just little things like that, that, you know, as someone who couldn't play anymore necessarily, I was like, oh, I like this. So um, through that, went out and did my first recruiting kind of grind, which was like, you know, you grab a box fan, you grab a thing of laundry and like, you know, you're staying in dorms. And I was like, this is, you know – a grime that I, that I enjoyed. And I met, you know, started to make connections in the sport with other people doing the same thing. And one of those connections I made was Peter Lasagna up at, uh, up at Bates college that um, kind of saw me able to work at some of these camps. And and back then, I mean, it's not that long ago, but camps, uh, there was a lot more teaching going on. And I think assistant coaches got more opportunities to maybe showcase the way that they could, you know, present their, you know, their coaching to other coaches and so I think coach Azani was able to see me coach a little bit at a blue chip two, two, five camp at Bryant, uh, and, and, uh, offered me a, a position with him. And that was, you know, that changed my life working with Peter Lasagna for, for those years. Um, then I ran out of health insurance and needed to, to, you know, figure out the next stage of my life. I had a, a wife who didn't want to move up to Maine at that point in time or a, a, a girlfriend at the time. So I, I settled at a position at LaSalle college, which I was there for six years. And, um, you know, really that was, you know, first introduction to being a head coach and um, was great. Six years. I made, you know, some really great connections with some really great young men who helped me go through all the growing pains of being a first time head coach, which there was a ton um, and, and fortunate that, you know, they helped me grow that program and led me to, to where I'm at now, which uh, you know, I, I wake up every day with a really big smile on my face and and uh, you know, First person in work a lot of times because I just I can't believe I pinch myself that I'm that I'm in this office sometimes. So definitely, you know, wasn't the prettiest path to get here, but but certainly uh I couldn't be more happy how it paid out for me. Yeah.
1: Amazing. I mean Bowdoin's one of the greatest academic institutions in the world and it's got a really proud lacrosse history. Um let's go back though. I want to talk a little bit about um Coach Lasagna. So he was my coach at Brown. right. he was the assistant at Brown when I was a player from 86 to 89, but so I grew up in Providence, Rhode Island. So I was like the ball boy of the soccer and lacrosse teams back when Pete was the assistant lacrosse coach. And he was like, just this dude with the long hair, you know, the ponytail that I didn't really know he was when I was probably like nine or 10 or 11. And of course I got to know him better when I got a little bit older and, and went to all the camps and everything that he was always Dom's right-hand man. And, um, you know, of course, when, when I graduated soon there off your Dom left and he became the head coach at Brown. But um, tell me some of the stuff that you learned from Pete besides just um, an, a really fun guy to be around.
0: Yeah, no question. The coolest guy I've ever met in my life. Um, you know, and, and like we're talking Pete would rock these like readers that, that were like leopard print that his wife Holly gave him. And like that's just, you know the most comfortable guy in his own skin I've ever met. And, and it just, you know, for me being really young, like helped me kind of be comfortable in, in my own skin, which is like dealing with, you know, kids that I was not that much older than, you know, at the NESCAC level. So I was probably a 23 year old head coach. So, you know, it was definitely a, uh, a great experience to to one, just have a, a guy like that who's just really just cool and easy to be around. Um, Pete, is incredibly knowledgeable about the sport of lacrosse. But I think where he really shines is, is you don't see it unless you're in those locker rooms and in those meetings with them is just the way he's able to bring people together, the way he's able to always be on the pulse of the world, uh, politics, uh, you know, hip hop movies, you name it. Like Pete's always just like got a great opinion. That's um, you know, very centered. And and so Um, he was definitely, when I first got up there, I was like, you know, lacrosse, you know, X's and O's everything. And and I think what I learned coming out of that was coaching is so much more than just X's and O's it's, it's how can you connect with, with these young men? How how can you, uh, get into their hearts and into their, into their minds and, and motivate them naturally, uh, motivate them through love. Um, and that's certainly what I, I was able to really take away and learn from Pete is just Um, you know, that's, that's a man who really loves and cares for everyone he's ever coached and, uh, and seeing the players that would, you know, literally run through a wall for that guy. So, um, certainly I I couldn't be more luckier to have spent that those three years with him. I wanted to spend more time, but like I said, my health insurance was out and my (laughs) girlfriend was like, you've got to get out of Lewiston and and we got to figure this out. So I wanted to, I I'd still be working for the guy if I could. That's, that's really how I feel about him.
1: Amazing. So yep. then you go to So how old were you when you became a head coach?
0: I think I was like 25, 26 years old, um, uh, taking over that program. So definitely really young. Thought I knew everything. You know, we, we had just had a really great season at Bates. We were top 10. I think we were finished the season 7th in the country. Um, we had a big win over Tufts when they were number one. I think they might have had like a uh, 20-something game win streak going. Uh, we ended up playing them again in the NCAA tournament. Uh, and we lost like eight, uh, you know, we we ran into a kid named John Upgren, who you know to this day is one of the best offensive players in Division Three history. Um, but but just a great team. So I I left there taking over the cell as a young man who, who thought he knew everything, and then quickly realized, uh, you know, in some ways I knew nothing about being a head coach and and you know all the uh, intricacies of of what that role takes. And, and uh, was really lucky to have a, a group of guys who. Open, welcome me with open arms and and let me work through all those hurdles that come with being a a new head coach you know but yeah it was it was different too I mean you go from the NESCAC to a conference that's very different a a budget that's very different you know uh, uh uh schedule it's just very different so it was also a learning curve in terms of you know uh for me it's like some of the drills and and one thing I'll add too is you know we didn't have lights on our field so we were sharing half of our field with women's Across, with and, and so there was a lot of like things that came up at the time that I might be viewed as like, Oh, this is not good. That soon became a strength and soon became, you know, a way that it's like, well, we can get really good at all these small sided games and we can get really good at all these, you know, so you just find a way to to make lemonade out of lemons when you're, when you're at some of those schools that maybe have a, a little less privilege than some of our schools in the NESCAC. And, and I think that's also helped shape me as a coach. It's just, all the uh, hurdles you have to learn how to get through as a coach, because, you know, y- you're still got to go play those games. Nobody's going to know you were sharing half a field for for three or four days before that game. So I uh, just got to find a way to get it done.
1: It's the uh, constraints led approach occurring yep. to the coach. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I know the feeling. I mean, at Denver, it was very similar. We just, we didn't really have a whole lot, you know, uh, it was yep. me and Peter Hill and we shared a cubicle and a, Ghost dining hall, and you, you didn't weren't given any, you had to figure out how to get anything and everything you were going to do.
0: Um, so yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty awesome. Where is LaSalle? Osel? LaSalle's in Newton, uh, Massachusetts, right outside of Boston. Um, so it's a, yeah, it's a smaller school, but um, wide variety of majors. Um, and our, our campus, our, our field is located really, their field is located in a really nice uh, neighborhood, but there was a noise ordinance, so you couldn't blow a whistle. until a certain time period so i think you know again more constraints that you just learn how to to work through
1: it's amazing yeah Uh, so all right you get to Bowdoin 2021 um what was it like taking on a new program as compared to you know being a first-time head coach um how did you sort of launch you know a program that's been around program that's had a lot of success um a lot of history. Starting with culture, how did you try to build that?
0: Yeah, that's. Uh, I think that's where it always starts is culture. Um, and I, I think it was a unique situation that uh, they didn't have a season before. You know, we were one of those three schools in the NESCAC that elected not to play last year. Um, and then obviously the year before that, they had three games total. So, you know, I was looking at a roster that had um, our juniors, you know, had three games total experience under their belt uh, career-wise. So I really viewed it as an opportunity that you know in a lot of ways we can rebrand in any direction that we want to go um, because it's just so fresh and new to to yeah. you know over half our roster. so um, that's exactly what we did. you know our first team meeting was was just kind of talking to them about the brands and 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 what our culture can be um and and I you know just kind of dangled that carrot right away of like I want to play fast guys you know I want I want to be a team that um, you know anytime we get the ball, we're putting, uh, the pedal to the metal, and we're looking to create scoring opportunities right away. And and I think, um, you know, th- that necessarily wasn't the, the total brand of the program prior to that. Um, but I just look—you look at the NESCAC, and you look at lacrosse in Division Three that's played in New England. And I think if you're if you're trying to punch your ticket uh, to Memorial Day weekend, you've got to be scoring 15 to 17 goals, or else you're not you're not going to get there. So uh, that was kind of just the conversation to them too was like, Oh, also like for Memorial day weekend, um, you know, I'm not just saying, Oh, let's make the NSCAC tournament. You know, like I I let them know the goal right away is, um, you know, we want to be the best team in the country and we want to be playing in Memorial day weekend. So I think, Maybe there were some guys in the room that weren't sure at that time, you know, and, and certainly I think I was probably too, just that's a pretty high goal. But um, the more we got to work and the more I realized the type of talent that was here and, and that the previous coaching staff did did a great job recruiting, uh, one of which is still with us, Coach Heffel. Uh, we had the talent and and uh, the culture just, you know, was very, you got to be natural and organic with it and and let them really have a lot of say. And I kind of sit back and these are some really smart kids um which which i'm fortunate to coach so you know i, I kind of let them also uh, have a lot of say in what some of their core values were and things like that but it's definitely it started with the easy sell which is let's play fast let's play fun uh let's fi- try to fill the stands uh how you do that is is obviously this game can do that but also you know be someone in the community that is holding doors for people be someone in the community that you know sees a piece of trash on the ground pick it up you know just always try to be a positive uh, influence when you're out and about. And and if you're wearing the Bowdoin lacrosse gear, um, you know, wear it everywhere and and, and make sure that, you know, you're, as you're doing that, you're, you're creating fans, you know, and you want people to watch you play this game that you dedicate, you know, all of your time to. So, so let's make sure that while we're out in the campus, we're, uh, we're creating those positive influences. And I think, um, you know, one thing leads to another, you just create this, this positive, you know, culture and, People start hopping aboard. Our, our president came to a couple of our away games. And he, wow. our Amherst, yeah, our Amherst game said, it, he told me it was one of the best sporting events he's ever gone to. And he's seen a no-hitter at Yankee Stadium. So um, we definitely were able to kind of work our way all the way to the top last year in, in creating uh, new fans. Give us a quick recap on last year. You guys had a great year. Yeah, we had a great year. Uh, started with a scrimmage. I, I want to start with a scrimmage because we played, we scrimmaged MIT. And it did not go well, and so it was like, "Oh boy, you know what uh I, 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 did I did everything I do not was it not the right plan because it turns out that was a really good mit team and and they had an attackman who who is as legit as uh, any scorer in the country um and so you know we we came out of that scrimmage and we opened up with a really good middlebury team and um you know, we, we rattled off 14 wins in a row, which was, was, was just kind of crazy. So we wow. started our season. Yeah. We started our season on a 14 game win streak every, cause I, like I said, our junior class had three games experience and I'm a new coach. Everything was new. Every week was new. I was like, I didn't even know that there was midterms this week. You know what I mean? So like, I just, you know, we were just working through it all. We had three buses break down on us. Um, it was just the ultimate season of just crazy things happening. And, uh, we were just able to kind of just keep pushing through. And uh, I ended up getting COVID uh, during the season and I missed uh, our, our game against Tufts, which was devastating. And uh, you know, I've, I've uh, definitely shed a tear not being able to, you know, get on that bus uh, with the guys going down, you know, we ended up losing that game uh, quick turnarounds to, to a really uh, feisty Hamilton team. And uh, we ended up finishing the season 18 and three. We, we, we posted. First round of the NCAA tournament, um, and we ended up losing to uh to the def- the defending and back to back national champions uh, RIT. But all in all, just hopefully I didn't set the bar too high, but but a great uh, historic season here. What a start! Awesome. Um. All right, so let's talk a little. Um. Let's talk a little.
1: Yeah. In-depth lacrosse. So t- talk about your offense and your philosophies. I, mean, I know you're playing fast. Um, anything specific in transition that you like to do that you've learned that you're going to mess around with that coaches might be
0: interested in hearing about? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, the first thing is obviously, uh, you know, the breakout that's, that's critical, right. How, how you're breaking out, whether it's uh, you know, off the face off and and getting upfield or or it's on the defensive end getting upfield. but I think it starts there um, and, and really just getting North South, I try to avoid as many east-west passes as possible uh, and and really want our passes and our our ball carrying to be north-south as as much as we possibly can. Um, And then, you know, from that phase, we're looking to to likely get the ball down the side if we can um, and into an attackman's hand as quickly as possible. Um, And so uh, I I like that because, um, again, those are – you know some of your best ball carriers um, and decision makers, and for us, you know some really good Dodgers. Um, but if if the defender is passing is, is kind of pressing out on that, we like to then clear through and, and give that space and, and give that lane. Also, personnel wise, you know if we've got a couple defensive middies on our team and, and maybe a pole or two, that it's like oh these guys can come down and, and rip it. Uh, so that's that's in a lot of ways in the uh, hands of the attackman to make that read and we do a lot of drills where we, you know, just call it the quarterback drill where, um, you know, we kind of mix up what's coming down and then the attack, we need to make that read uh, regarding, you know, doing quick math, you know, is this going to be a 65 is going to be a 54, you know, is, uh, is the guy trailing the play a guy who has a hammer, you know, and maybe we want to make a call or make a look to where we get it down the side, but we get it right back up to that guy. Uh, we like to, you know, just crash the crease. So, so, a ton of different drills that involve the ball, you know, filtering up the field as fast as possible and mixing it up, varying it up where it's coming from. Um, And, and then, you know, giving some tools to our attackmen, whether they're clearing through, whether we're, we're going to get the ball and and play a quick two man game in transition with the guy who's coming down. Um, Maybe we want to get the ball behind that X and and cut and fill lanes and, and uh, you know, or, or, you know, opens up a whole, different tree of getting the ball down to X and and throwing it right back and dodging. And so we just love to work on all the different ways you can attack in that first phase, which is the transition phase. Um, And essentially my philosophy is it just puts the defense on their heels and makes them uncomfortable because um, you know, when you're really good at it and and your, your team is disciplined and and the decision-making that takes place and the stick skills that takes place to do it, uh, it's a lot to manage uh, for the defense, and then we like to then build on that and then, you know, early offense, have our acting kind of probing as we maybe get into a sub game or maybe we just sub off but but continue to just keep the defense on their heels and, and maybe it's a quick little sea uh, uh, curl fish hook or, you know, a little game that they play and, and just, again, like probing, just just making the defense not pro- be able to relax right and, and then if we're doing sub game stuff we've got a whole you know we're working through maybe we want to get a guy stuck maybe we want to create a, a, a six v five out of the box maybe we want to play five on five and just kind of sit a guy there so you've got a lot of different sub game you can do and then um, that kind of flows right into your offense which hopefully then doesn't take you know we're, we're, we're right out of the box into what we would call like an opener so again everything is just practiced and paced in a way that makes it really uncomfortable to be a defender and and our goal is that that defense feels like they have kind of got on their heels from our transition and then we, we just want to try and keep them on their
1: heels so when you get into your into your offense you you mentioned you know we get into our opener um would you say you're more of like a motion-oriented team and a read and react or or more scripted where you know you're going to try to like draw slides and get the spacing of players where you want
0: them I'd say motion. Yeah. Motion read and react. Uh, mostly, um, you know, we'll, we'll have, you know, three or four different openers and kind of depends on what side of the field the box is. Um, and, and, you know, we try to have one look like the other, you know, or the other look. What's an
1: example of an opener?
0: So, um, you know, we, we, like the last guy coming out of the box, we throw it up to him. Um, you know, and maybe we're already kind of in our deuces set and, and, uh, you know, we're bringing up a pick right out of the box and, and we're picking for that guy right away. Or it looks like we're going to do that, but then we kick it back over to the other side and, you know, we're going from there. Or, uh, you know, we, we'll we sweep out of the box, but we'll throw it back. And then that guy's got a lot of space. So so it's just a way to flow, like I said, like and, and, and try to keep the defense on their heels um, and and just attack right away and not waste a second, you know. So, so the opener is just more of, of our guys knowing like, um, you know, we're, we're trying to, if we can, either get it to the guy out of the box or, um, or we're working opposite box side. But the guy coming out of the box is crashing and he's doing something else right away. So just it's just a way for us to hopefully kind of initiate that, that what we would you know, say is like the, the, the third phase of our offense, which is just like, you know, now we're in our six on six stuff. I, I feel like, I, you know,
1: you use the word uh, probing um, sort of in that early offense piece. A lot of coaches talk about probing in early offense. Um, but I kind of feel like probing is what offense is, like honestly. And so therefore, um, how do you think about probing as uh, in your six on six, meaning just testing? Um, are they sliding? Are they not? You know, how do they guard this pick? What happens when I stick my body into my guy? What happens when I bounce out? What happens when I bounce out and wind up? You know, all of these things, you know, what happens if I set a pick off the ball? Are they switching or staying? Are they, What if I seal? it's almost all probing, but I kind of feel like, um, you know, we, we limit things as coaches naturally. We edit, well, we got it. we can only do this many things, but my, my question to you is, so how do you think of that when you think about your offense and let it flow into any two man and all kinds of stuff that you're doing?
0: Yeah, no, I love that, Jamie. I think that's exactly um, how we're trying to play as, as well as, is, is, is like you said, always probing. And I think that's where it's my job as a coach to allow that freedom. And, and to allow our guys to just play the game, and, and like you said, read and react, um, and, and a lot of it is that, especially when you know we're, we're working in those two-man games, or you know, like Coach Ozani always used to say that if you have the ball and all you have are the eyes of the guy who's guarding you, and you don't see anyone else's eyes on you, I would love for you to dodge right now. You know, so he's he definitely was someone who would always kind of be talking about every time we're probing all the time, uh, and so yeah. No question. I mean, it's, it's, um, you know, I say sometimes, like sometimes I don't know what our guys are doing on offense. Right. And I think that's a good thing because if I don't know what they're doing, Mm -hmm. neither does the defense know what we're doing either. Right. So um, that's, that's the freedom that you've got to, I believe as a coach, you want to allow your offensive players to know that they can play within uh, so that they can be creative so that they can try things. And then, you know, I also think on the other end of it, if it it goes really poorly and, and it looks really bad, that I, I can't then turn around and, and, and ream that guy out for trying that, you know? So I think we really foster a culture that, um, all we care about really is the, the what's next, right? So let's say you're, you're probing and, you know, you, you, you feel like, uh, you know, the guy's going under the pick and you're at 12. So you just kind of wind one up and you let it rip and it's popcorn and it goes the other way. Like, all we care about as a team is, is how hard are you riding that thing back? You know, and, and did you put your head down? Did you take the shaft and slam it against your helmet, which I've seen some kids do, you know? So, so foster a culture that allows that probing and that, that read and react. And, and, uh, and I think you'll start to see um, the freedom that some guys have that, that they do some magical things that just are unscripted that uh, you know, just, you look like a smart coach because it happened, but in no way did you have anything to do with it. You just have a player who is making plays. And I think that's where it's my job as a coach is I've got some talented players and and I want to take a step back and just let them do talented, really smart and incredible things.
1: Yeah. So true. I mean, you said, you know, sometimes you don't know what your players are really doing and all this. and, And therefore the defense does it. And conversely, if you know exactly what your team is doing, you know, for a fact that your opponent knows exactly what you're doing. And um, so I, I love that. And, and you know, there's this theory out there that you can't possibly do something that you've never done before and practiced a million times. And that's just not true. And you know that because you've got young kids. Anybody that gets that has kids <laughs> knows that. Cause they do stuff all the time. You're like that, you know, of course you're always like, Oh my gosh, they're so smart, you know, but, right. <laughs> but, but, you know, the, 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 brilliance of children is that, you know, you put them in these new situations, new constraints, and next thing you know, they do things that they've never done before. And so will the athletes if you give them a chance. Um, But again, the reductionist model of like, don't do this, do this, you know, think about it with your kids. Would you ever tell them they couldn't use, you know, words of a certain length before they mastered the, the shorter ones? I mean, you know, like, oh, you can't say that word yet, even though they just said it.
0: <laughs> no <laughs> question.
1: Certain words. That, <laughs> but of course, you know, the certain words that they're saying, they did hear. <laughs> yep. so been there. Talk to me a little about the about your thoughts on, on two man game. I've been thinking a lot about this over the last couple of years. Done a few podcasts recently about that. Um and I would love to hear your thoughts.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, you know, we we have a really great offensive coordinator in trevor haffel who who um he's he's fantastic in coaching the two-man game um and and on my end where i'm i'm working with the defense a little bit more um it it can be a nightmare and it can be really really difficult um because i just feel like when our offense is clicking in the two-man game they just are what i always feel like is a step ahead and so um just from the defensive standpoint i feel like i need to almost in some ways like we got to be it's like a game of rock paper scissors, shoot where if we're throwing you know scissor twice in a row like we gotta throw a rock the next time if we're if we're switching twice like these really really good teams are gonna know you're switching and they're gonna have a counter for it and it's gonna be positive so I tell our defense a lot of times like we, we, we not necessarily want to be super consistent in a two-man game versus these really, really good two-man teams because they're going to read and react and they're going to adjust and, and they're going to have a pretty strong counter for it. And so sometimes we can catch them off guard uh, and surprise them and and hopefully create a turnover out of it. But, but yeah, I mean, offensively, um, you know, what, one thing I think Coach Heffel does a really good job of is, is um, the spacing, out of the two man game. And, and, uh, you know, he, he kind of has a, a, a what he calls, you know, jumping five, of just making sure that as we're working into that space of the two man game, that we're also creating, creating that space and, and the footwork and, and what's needed to get yourself away from that so that that player can read it. Um, if we are slipping or if we are kind of uh, mirroring or things like that, and then on the other end of it, it's just, you know, the heavy picks that we set where we're just kind of being that, uh, that heavy pick trying to create uh you know a switch or trying to create some traffic um that you know that player can then probe off of and see how they're playing it and and read out of it and you know we've got some pretty deep shooters and so we like to set some of those picks that if you're going under it you know we're letting it fly and and then you know if you're going over it uh we're trying to attack right out of it so it's uh yeah, I mean, it's it's it gives me nightmares sometimes as a defensive coach when a team is really, really good at the two-man game because, um, you know, you look at a team like RIT, who's won two national championships in a row and, and uh, you know, plays with some pretty strong Canadians and they, uh, they play some really, really strong two-man games that result in you having to rotate. And in our process of scouting them, we're like, if we rotate, we die, you know, because they just make – they kill you for rotating. So – uh, yeah, it's 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 the you know right now it's it's definitely I think the hardest thing to cover as a as a coach in my opinion is some of these two man games and you know some of the three man games that are happening too.
1: Yeah, the three man gets even more confusing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, imagine you're on defense and you're guarding the picker, and you're like, "Jamie, pick coming right," and then all of a sudden somebody picks you. They're yeah. like, "Bill, pick left." Now, what are you going to do? It's like that. That's that's really mental to think about that one scenario. I always I always use that when I try to tell people to think about how difficult a three man action would be when you're talking to somebody. You're getting ready to decide whether to switch or stay or play the defense. Your coach is telling you, and then someone's picking you,
0: and you got to figure out on on two picks at the same time. Um, Really, really difficult, and and that's where you know you hope to have great communicators and and uh you know especially some of those guys opposite that three-man game you know they're probably gonna have to get involved and yeah. uh you know the really good teams can can get to that next level that next layer of recognizing that you're getting involved from the other side and then yeah. they make you pay for it so it's uh it's a fun game we play and and certainly i feel like especially in um uh, in, like i said new england uh you know uh lacrosse or at least Northern lacrosse and looking at teams like RIT and, and union and, and uh, all the other teams in our conference. And, and, you know, it's just, they're scoring so much and, and they're scoring 15, 17 goals every game, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday. So you, uh, you got to have firepower too. I think, you know, I, I, there's no hiding from from the way these teams score and I in division three for sure.
1: Yeah. It's crazy
0: actually how much scoring there is. Um, mm-hmm.
1: So all right, so you, for, for, for two-man defense, what's your sort of go-to, you know, progression that you would like to try to do to to defend it and teaching it and just sort of generally? I mean, obviously in any game you might change something up, but but just sort of generally, I mean, there's not that many options, but how do you sort of start teaching it, and what are the things that you kind of work on most to try to give the, the kids um, a base to be able to do rock, paper, and scissors?
0: Right, yeah, I'd, I'd say you start with just the the concept of you know being athletic and fighting through, um, and and communicating it early. Um, and, and fighting then, over. You know, I, when you say through, do you mean over, or do you mean um, over or under? No, I probably you know again leaving that up to you know uh, the scenario, right? Um, and and we always say if a guy goes over, it's likely going to mean a switch. Um, you know, we we uh, unless they get really good leverage before it, and they're able to get that guy off the line. If if they go over. We've, you know, breaking down the film, we've had some guys go over picks and it's like no contact was made. But the angle of which now they're they're defending from, it's like they did get picked in some way. So right. we behind. try to we yeah, yeah, exactly. They're they're usually always behind. Um so so yeah, we view if, if you're going over a pick and there wasn't some really good contact before that pick, and we're just kind of running, um, that's that's likely a switch scenario for us in a Although, lot of ways. If you're permanently
1: trailing it's not actually a switch it's a double
0: yeah that, totally that's the problem if you commit no to go over
1: and you're permanently trailing. yep yeah it's, so you it's, try to go under but but then again you know you can't go under like you said if you're if you're like inside the hashes you know Yep. no you, you gotta go
0: over there you gotta have that's where you gotta have your overcall, and that's yeah. you know you gotta have your kind of uh your landmarks on the field of where this pick is coming from um and how we want to play it um and you know and i think some ways that that's uh that's not a bad space uh, if the team, you know, to maybe want to jump and maybe want to double uh, and, and try to get your hands on it if it's, it's, fits tight. Um, but we did that and Amherst threw it in and the kid made a sports center, top 10 BTB, fr- you know, so it's just like, you, you think you got a great jump there and these kids are just so great with their sticks. And um, it's just a very difficult I think situation to be in yeah, as is, as a yeah. defensive coach, but we yeah certainly just want to be athletic, get under it if we can, and uh, have good leverage, and then I and then you know obviously you can stack picks and 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 allow for maybe a little bit more space for them to get under, um, and you know you can stack and and whack or you know you can stack and and stay on it, um, stack you can you stack mean, and get 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 real tight to your
1: man to yeah get exactly. Stack and whack is hedge out, give the give the ball carrier a
0: whack and try to get
1: back. And what was the third one?,
0: um, yeah, to just jump to to kind of, um, yeah, just to jump and and turn them back the other way and likely try to turn it into a double mm-hmm. or um or it's a switch that you jumped on, and now you're now you're attached to that guy in some ways, and now that person who was on the ball carrier kind of sits in that spot and sees how you came out of that switch. And do they need it, you know, go back from there? So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a challenging uh, game. I think the defense is, is uh, you know, on their heels for sure. So one of the things I've been
1: thinking a lot about lately, too, is, 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 is off-ball two-man game, which I, I feel like is really the, the, the next frontier for offense. And I think, mm-hmm. it's, I think it's not far off. It's not hard to do. Not many people do it. I have seen a little bit more of it in the PLL this summer. You've been coaching PLL, so
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, you can probably speak to it. But uh, not a ton of it, and it's probably pre-scripted. But, but at the end of the day, why wouldn't we run off-ball two-man and three-man actions as opposed to get into spots or exchange? I mean, I get the spots – makes sense if there's a slide and you're in the right spot it's great and i get the exchange because you know if they don't want to miss lose their matchup they kind of have to move with you and generally they just freeze it and you get a matchup change but it's so limiting again it's kind of the reductionist model of like just do this i mean if we start getting kids to seal and slip and pick off ball and you start getting a defense to decide how they're going to guard this stuff which might be we're ignoring it which case you'll get sealed and then you got those shooters you're talking about or they're like nope we're not going to just let you shoot the ball and now they're going to stay. I mean, I just feel like it opens up a world of problems. Um, any thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, no, no question. And you know, the one thing, especially I would say in the PLL, it's like a matchup oriented league that, you know, the better a team is working you off ball and, and creating some of these picks and scenarios, then they're getting matchup advantages that they like. And um, especially, you know, if a team is wanting to declare from inside um, you know, just think uh that person and 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 coming off of it or just the harder teams in my opinion you know someone who's who just spent the last year coaching defense at at this level you know the teams that are working you off ball and picking you off ball and and working these two man games off ball um it's just way harder to script how we want to defend it you know and it's just you're you're putting that group more and like you got to be able to figure it out on the fly and and you got to be able to communicate through it. And a lot of times you end up switching matchups, so you just got to be comfortable, in my opinion, on, on covering anybody and understanding when matchups get get changed. But I think that's where um, that off-ball play can really um, hurt teams. It's just, you know, if they're spending time over there working through that, it's less time that they can be helping out where the attacking is happening on the other side but, of the field. So, you know, it's them. just it, – it, Yeah. It's just, you're, you're splitting their brain in half. They're working on what's going on over there. They're working on what's going on over there. Maybe that coach is like, this is the guy you're covering all games. So they, they feel like they got to get out of there. And you know, now you've got some more space on the inside or whatever it might be. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, teams that are, you know, kind of put you in that machine washer. I'd say RIT is one of them that has great motion happening at all times with, with all their players um and it's and some of it maybe is scripted, some of it's just maybe just free flowing and, and working through it and just you know, they kind of have a, a cadence of like, all right, this is this is when we should be doing this and let's you know, they're just communicating it out there, it becomes very difficult to to defend. Um and, and when they're all on the same page, it's it's uh I think it's a it's a fun thing to watch when a team is just all out there some ways looking scripted but in maybe ways it isn't scripted and they're just playing and they're just facing the floor and they're just communicating and they're just kind of reading and reacting it's like hey it looks like your guy's looking like he's going to slide here um, why don't I come down and seal him and my guy's going to come with me and now you've got this nice step down that hopefully oh. other side of the ball you know that, that sees it and I think that's where you want to you know our, our offense coordinator Trevor Affle does a great job of of, of talking about scanning and making sure that you're always kind of taking snapshots of what's happening off ball too, is that so that you can see some of those skip passes, or if, uh, if you missed it, maybe another guy can communicate it or, you know, as coaching staff, Hey, it looks like they're, they're pulling in from over there. Let's, let's maybe try to steal that or let's, you know, give space. Sometimes you can just sit there, you know, maybe that's the best thing to do is you don't need yeah. to motion. You can just sit, there. but yeah, it's uh, when it all comes together, it's very, uh, it's very difficult to defend
1: the off ball actions create really, really difficult approaches too. And it's like, think about it. Like anytime your defense has to approach somebody, it's a lot harder. The the more difficult the approach, the better the opportunity is for the offense. And so creating advantages on offense is partly in creating approaches, which is why everyone dodges, draws slides, tries to kick through X, get to the backside, Mm -hmm. hopefully have a tough approach. But if you have, you know, someone's designating – and you seal somebody in, and you throw the ball to that guy. Somebody has to go play him, and it's kind of a little two-on-one with that seal. And all of a sudden, there's people flying out to the ball. Now, I think that it makes it that much more
0: difficult approach to man defense, a lot harder. Yeah, yeah of- no question. We we do it yeah, we do a fun drill that kind of like uh, ties into that approach drill. We call it time room roulette, and uh, the defender. He's looking uh, in. He doesn't really know where the offensive player is. Uh, he's got he's got about five to six yards to kind of pick a spot and sit at. And the offensive player he he uh, he has a spot five or six yards that he can sit at. So um, you know if if they pick the high side, let's say the offensive player picks you know the the top of the twenty-five yard line or the twenty-yard line, the defensive player picks the bottom of the fifteen-yard line. They've got about five to seven yards of space in between them we kick that ball and that defender has got to turn and find his guy, which happens a lot, especially, you know, he's got to shed a, a seal or something like that. Mm. So we're trying to work on that offensive guy to understand, you know, he's coming in and this is kind of his, his, his angle approach, right? So great time to hitch great time to take top side. Maybe you want to sell top side. So he over commits and you come back under. So just working on ways for the offensive player to, to freeze his guy and, 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 take kind of like I said, that snapshot of what's about to happen as he receives the ball on the backside. Yep. And then at the same time the defensive player, like we tell that guy, hey, buy us some time. Make him make him have to make a double move. You know, try to get sticky. Like where he caught the ball is where it's gonna co- a shot's gonna come from. So so you know, do your best to if you got to pull, maybe skewer that shot, but don't over don't overplay yourself. So now you've gotten froze on a hitch or you've gotten, you know, now he's got a way higher percentage shot. So yeah, I love we love getting Taking what you just said occurs, which is a tart approach, and then boiling that down into like a lot of different drills that uh, get our guys just the muscle memory they need to, to execute when those things come up. All right, let's turn the um, let's turn
1: the talk a little bit before we talk about recruiting, which I want I want to sort of finish off with. Let's yeah. talk a little bit about player development. You know, probably no better way to make your program better than to make your players better. Um, how do you approach this?
0: Oof. Great great question. Was a lot of fun last year when the NESCAC let us have fall ball and I had 15 practices to really develop. Um and now I don't. And now I'm sitting here and I know our guys are I think I think they're maybe going out right now. They they've got something they're doing today, so they're on their own to player development and uh and I and I think that's a great situation. I think that's a great opportunity um that right now in the fall um they're leading, you know, our seniors, our captains, our, our you know, and I think we, we allow our, our first year to have a say in what's going on too is, you know, they're, they're, they know they're, they need to be self-aware, right? They need to be really self-aware. What are my strengths? You know, continue to keep working on those. What are my weaknesses? And, uh, you know, use, use some of the drills we've worked on in the past and and go from there. But what one thing I want to say on that, that, I think is important that I realized later on in the year, is as a D3 program, we play a lot of Wednesday games and Saturday games. And so it's Wednesday, it's Saturday, it's Wednesday, it's Saturday. And I feel it's my obligation as a as a coach to to make sure I'm not burning out my players. But at the same point, I've got guys who maybe aren't getting in all those games. And I want to be getting them the full speed reps they need. But, but at the same point, we'd be doing a disservice to our program to be full speeding it in practice all the time because those guys just had a, you know, a bloodbath of a game against a top 10 opponent. Now they got another top 10 opponent in two days, right? We played we played three back-to-back weekends in 2022. So our guys, you know, they, they wear a lot of tread on their tires. So we started towards the end of the year um, taking a lot of the guys who maybe aren't getting a lot of necessary runs and and in, in games and, and creating drills that are just about them in practice and and, and using our practice time – to really focus on them and give them, you know, we'll, we'll maybe have some of our other guys going and shooting and doing yoga, stretching, whatever it might be. But, but that was something that took a little bit of time and took some meetings of like, Hey coach, like I get that we got a rest today, but like, I want, I, I am fresh. I need to go. So, um, I definitely think that's where it's our responsibility as a coaching staff to make sure that we're finding the right drills that are, have the right intensity to them. Uh, for groups that need it at certain times, but, but I wish we had fall ball. That's for sure. But, uh, I know our guys are one, you know, smarter than I am and probably organizing a a better fall ball than I did. So I think we're, I think we're in good hands. Love it. All right. Let's
1: talk a little recruiting. So, um, first of all, how big of a recruiting class do you bring in usually?
0: Uh, we're, we're anywhere between nine and 10 players, uh, every year. And then, um, if we're, if we're lucky to have maybe a football guy, um, or, uh, or a hockey or a soccer or, or, or maybe a track and field swimming. We had a squash one time. So if there's some two sport athletes, we're able to, to bulk up our class there, but it's, it's nine to 10 every year. And which is it? How do you know? Uh, so this year we're, uh, we're, um, we're 10 last year we were nine. So is it alternate? Yeah, it alternates every year. Yep. Got it.
1: Okay. Um, and, um, what what are the academic sort of requirements that people would need to know? I mean, what do you basically ballpark? What do you need um, if you want to go to if you want to be able to be a recruit at Bowden?
0: Yeah, I would say um, you need to be taking uh, you know the hardest courses you possibly can. So we're looking at especially you uh, all of our twenty fours. Uh, they got to be taking at least two APs right now, uh, and, and then you know school really takes into account what their courses are going to be their senior year as well. So loading up on more APs for next year Um, within that, you know, if there's a C on the transcript at any point in time in their career, um, we could be in some trouble. So we're looking at, you know, um, GPAs of, of 3.5 and above um, SAT scores that are 1300 plus uh, ACTs that are 31 plus Um, we asked optional, but Um, test scores, I think help the story than, than anything. And so um, I definitely encourage all of our guys to be testing. Um, And then on top of that, you know, I think uh, it's important too, that, that the student is well-rounded, that they're, um, that they're, that they're showcasing some types of leadership skills on campus, that they're being involved within their community. Um, You know, that all helps in terms of how our admissions group reads these students, because our 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 acceptance rate is is uh, less than I think it's around nine percent, and there's no real exception for men's across players. so we um we need that you know those grades to be at at, at an elite level as possible.
1: So you don't just have slots where you get to get people in, but you get to sort of give some people some support. Correct. you know say hey we really want this guy but you know like it's kind of funny because like in the ivy league it comes down to a number and 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 all the extracurriculars don't matter it's just a matter Mm -hmm. of you make these numbers and where do you fall on the list um but what you're saying is the extracurriculars the leadership
0: and all that stuff will factor in even with a recruit yeah it can tell yeah i think the admissions wants to see the story they want to they want to get to know the person outside of just the numbers And, and again that's why we're test optional you know we were we we're actually the first test optional school in the country, um, but again, <laughs> that being said, I still think testing is is uh, preferred uh, in a lot of ways. Um, but but yeah, they they when we do these pre reads, um, you know, we're, we're we're asked to submit a resume, and and we really want that resume to uh, reflect on that person. And and when there's someone that's that the admissions group is like, "Oh wow, this is an exciting person to add to our community." Um, it's not just, you know, I score a lot of goals, and that's what I do. as much as we like that. That's the good thing we like, you know that that this community and and this this school, um, you know, is way deeper than that. And so we want our our athletes and our students to to reflect the school as much as possible.
1: Awesome. Ah, uh, geographically, um, do you have a focus? Are you just wide open to the whole country? Do you kind of just, uh make sure you, you recruit New England is real, real strong, but leave it, you know, how do you sort of, how do you do that? Cause it's hard to see everybody, by the way, it's mm-hmm. like, see everybody. How do you, how do you, how do you sort of uh, prioritize that?
0: Yeah, it is. It's very hard to see everybody. And, you know, I've got two children, my assistant coach has two children. And when you, when we do out our schedules and we're always gung ho and we look at it and we're like, what are we doing? Our wives are going to, you know, kill us if we do this recruiting grind, you know? So then we kind of, pick and choose our spots where we know we're going to see, you know, the best uh, at at certain events. Um, But yeah, we're wide open. We're, you know, our, our 23 class, we've got um, California. um, We've got a couple uh, DC um, and and Virginia areas. Uh, We've definitely got our handful of new England guys. You got your LS boy. Um, We've got our LS boy who, you know, we want to maybe keep on the DL because uh, I, I, I am very, he's only, I think his highlight film only has, 60 or 70 views and and I probably watched it I don't know 40 times. <laughs> I'm just really excited about about beast. that young man and yeah what he's going to bring to our program. But but yeah, we're we're, you know, we've got a guy in our 22 class from Jackson Hole, Wyoming and uh, you know, we we're we try to be all over the map and
1: you got uh, your Colorado boy. Him.
0: Yep, we got our Colorado boy, so uh, it's uh yeah, it's it's Luxury I think we have at at Bowdoin is we are able to, I think we can attract students from everywhere. And I think, um, you know, that, that is exciting too. I think having a a diverse locker room uh, in in all different ways only creates uh, a team that that I think can come together uh, even more strongly when, when there's a lot of different uh, differing opinions and and it's, it's a fun job as a coach to bring that all uh, together. All right. So, Let's, let's just imagine you're
1: in 2024 and you really want to get in front of Bowdoin. So obviously kids are playing club lacrosse, but it's, you know, you just sort of said it, it's, it's, it's hard. You know, the division one, you don't have the same, you don't have the same budget and and you don't have the same manpower that they have in division one where like these guys are like literally going to watch 45 days of club lacrosse. So what, mm-hmm. what are the events that, you know, I'm not, I'm not asking you to promise where you're going to be, but just generally like yeah. how do you guys do that. What,
0: what events? Yeah, I think we, totally. We, we try to pick, you know, the, the premier events. Um, so I know, you know, I'm going to the 1% showcase and, and all the stuff that's going on there. We see a lot of really good talented players, uh, at that, uh, we'll be at, you know, the NHSLS events, um, we'll be at the NAL, uh, the NLS. you know, all these ones that, that, you know, the kind of the conglomerates that, you know, are going to have 15 to 30 really good club programs at, I think the IMLCA, um, events that are going to be taking place in, in Orlando uh, are great events for, for students to, to uh, whether your club team is getting into it, or and I know they're doing like a free agent uh, option. Um, you know, I think if you're a young player that that might be a great option for you because it's, I mean, it's, it's the convention. So uh, all coaches are going to be there. So I think the sidelines should be packed and a great opportunity. Um, There's also some boutique events like a lacrosse masters that, that kind of brings in NESCAC only head coaches um, that, you know, we'll be at, we have our prospect camps that we host here on campus, which are a great way to, you know, if if you're really excited about a school uh, visiting the campus and, and playing in front of the coaches and, and knocking both those off in the same weekend is always good because sometimes we'll, we'll be recruiting and the timeline will get tight and it's like, we got to get you to campus. And that's really hard to, you know, if you're, especially if you're living in Colorado, flying out to Maine and, and back is, can be expensive too. So um, yeah, we'll, we'll be as many places as we can that, that we know uh, really, really talented lacrosse players are going to be if, if you're from a, a uh, like I said, a Wyoming area, you know, um, it might be best served to to do one of those boutique events that you'll see us at those free agent events or, or do a prospect camp. Um, if your club program doesn't travel this way. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's expensive and it's a lot. And so I, I feel for, yeah. I feel for these families that go through the process. No question. It's um, so much and,
1: harder when you live in the I mean, West.
0: Yeah. Because it's
1: like two grand on every trip.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's just, that's just insane, you know? And, and, yeah. uh, yeah, it's, it, it adds up, and and I feel, but I I I do. We try to get out their way too, you know. I think that's really important for us to make sure that if we are going to be allocating our budget, uh, and actually the school is great. They um if it if they know we're going out of region, they'll um they'll they have kind of a fund that helps allocate us as coaches um, to to go see kids out of region as well, which is which is always great. So, is it actually going to be
1: easier for a kid from say Arizona? To get into Bowdoin, than it would be somebody from Fairfield County, Connecticut.
0: Um, not necessarily, but I think in terms of geographic diversity, the school, you know, and a lot of these schools, um, they like that. They like, um, you know, that's something that it, when when they read back the stats at the end of the kind of the, the year, they 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 one of them is uh, outside region, you know, which would essentially be England. Um, so that's definitely a stat that they track and they they're proud of, um, but. For us, if you're from, you know, uh, Idaho or you're from New Canaan, Connecticut, you know, we 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 don't really care. We just want to see that you love the game and, and yeah. you know, we're going to we're going to recruit recruit. You know, obviously playing against really, really good competition is an important factor. Right. So if you're right. from some of those out of region areas, you know, do do the best you can to get get on film. You playing um, as good of talent as you can too. Right. Um, what about.
1: You're mentioning showcases, you mentioned club teams, and then you mentioned like NHSLS, which is owned by my boy Andy Hillgartner, but it's a um, you know, it's a it's a high school event. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, that was like in reverse order of team play, right? So the, the, the showcase is very little, clubs you would hope more, but it's varying degrees, and then of course, high school you would think the most. But team play is everything, right? Um, team play, without team play, you can't win. And so it's pretty easy to see the athleticism and the speed and the size and things like this. But the team play is such an attitude and an aptitude and the whole uh, the perception piece and the scanning and all the stuff that you're talking about that you're looking for to be able to run your offense and your defense and to be able to communicate requires this ability with team play. How do you evaluate that at these various events?
0: Yeah, it's a, a great question. Um, I think you, you try to put all the pieces of the puzzle together. Uh, one being, you know, hopefully they've got, they've got the luxury of having some good film. Um, we've, we've, we've definitely watched full games if we can, of of certain athletes um, when they're playing with their club team, they maybe play a certain role that's different than when they're playing with their, um, with their high school team. And, and so, you know, if you're, if you're fortunate enough to be able to go to these NHSLS LS events um, or, you know, um, the, they, they, want, they actually run one at Lincoln Sudbury. That's great. Um, and so, yeah, uh, the Jersey strong is also a good one. All the Jersey high schools get together and, and do it. So yeah, you're able to see that player maybe in a different light, maybe that player, um, you know, for instance, thinking of one guy we have on, in our program, He's uh, playing with some really high-profile players, and a lot of that club team is, you know, that player is doing a lot, and that player is setting up a lot of things. But then you go watch them in their high school team, now they're the guy doing the setting up, they're facilitating, they're, you know, so it's like, wow, I I saw this guy, he kind of was on the the receiving end of of the work on this player. But now you watch him in his high school and he's doing the other role, man, this guy can, this guy can clearly play offense. He can clearly fit in and be a puzzle piece that can facilitate or play off ball, which is like, you know, the light bulbs start going off. So yeah, it just gives you that opportunity as a coach to, to get a different view. And and sometimes uh, you, you see different leadership stuff come out. Um, you know, you start to see, um, you know, the, the, the parents be like, you know, all jacked up on that one player that they love and, you know, whatever it might be, I don't know, you know, but, um, I do think there's a nice difference and a nice breakup of the club events and the high school events, and I think it's healthy for the game. I'd love to see it keep going um, on both ends. Um, I think it's only it only helps us as coaches get a better feel for that, that student. Yeah.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, at the end of the day, you can't win without team play. And
0: mm-hmm. that's the
1: hard part about the showcases. Yeah. Um, it's kind of funny because I remember, like, when Jake Reed started running his blue chip camp, way back in like 2001 or something, 2001, 2002, he ran his very first blue chip yeah. camp and it was like only 60 rising- camp. Yeah. And it was like 60 yep. kids. And I just remember thinking it was pretty good lacrosse, you know, and all these kids were like rising seniors and they were all good players. And there was like decent team play. But then as the, as, as the camp began to, grow and recruiting got earlier and earlier and all of a sudden there was like a rising freshman camp or whatever and it was just the worst lacrosse it was terrible lacrosse everyone's mm-hmm. standing around um and so you just can't count on younger kids to be able to play good lacrosse and you can't count on kids that have never played good lacrosse to play good lacrosse honestly a lot of it is because they've been they've been forced into playing bad lacrosse by their coaches themselves by just like yeah. getting to these spots and stand here you know instead of like you know play intuitively so, anyways, long story short, um, you know, the showcases can be really challenging because you could be a really good defender and you could be guarding someone who never could get get the space to dodge anybody because no one ever cleared through. Or you could be a great off-ball guy that could score 50 goals at your level that you'd be like, hey, eh, I don't know, he didn't do anything. Well, of course he didn't do anything because nobody's doing anything, you know. Um, so it's 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 a little tricky.
0: Yeah. Those can be long days as evaluators, you know, if if that kind of the the camp starts to head in that direction, you know, and I think I I, I credit a lot of camps that that's kind of start their camp off with Ching with, with allowing the coaches to kind of get out there and, or, or allowing the coaches to coach the the kids right? run the teams. You know, I think that way there there's uh, you know, just a a healthier direction for the event to take place. And, um, you know, so yeah, it's, it's a, it's it's definitely gonna be a long day if you know you, you you see the camp start to head in that direction where you know um, there's not a lot of team play going on and uh, or or it's one guy winning the faceoff every time or things like that. So um, balancing that out and making sure that that kid who maybe came from Arizona, you know, uh, gets his gets his fair shake of of uh, evaluations too. You know, so I actually credit some camps um, don't have faceoff guys at it. and they just uh you know they'll just kind of change it up and and make sure that there's a balance happening between possession times for both teams yeah totally hey bill this was so great
1: um thank you so much for coming on and talking about your journey in boating lacrosse and and you guys are doing amazing things
0: that's an honor thank you so much jamie and uh Excited to, to get going here, but certainly uh, I think I need to find some golfing and some fishing because my fall is, is, uh, is a little bit slower right now, but, but <laughs> we'll, be, we'll, be, we'll be reaching out to 24s. So that'll be fun. That's awesome. Um, yep. Listen, have a great fall and we'll be in touch. Thank you. Thanks.